Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 120. Today's show is brought to you by Braintree, Boom 2, and Foot Cardigan. My name is Mike Hurley, and today is a joyous day in the history of Connected. Federico has forgiven Stephen, and we are back together as a trio. <laughs> Federico, thank you so much for your kindness. Yeah, sure, but I don't get it. Like, uh, last week, I was out, and I started getting tweets from people that lasted throughout the entire week of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. please forgive Stephen, you two should sit down, have a beer, and talk about your issues. You should, you should. Please forgive Stephen. I'm not sure what Stephen did. He didn't do anything to me, you know? Like, like I forgive you, but for what, you know? Exactly. That's the question we were all, it was on the lips of everybody, is why would you just not forgive him? Nobody could understand why you were doing it. Like, I get it, this was your revenge mm-hmm. for all the times that I pronounced you dead on the show, and now your 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 revenge is to basically have hundreds of mentions in my Twitter account of people asking me to forgive someone. Uh, so very well played, Mike. Very, very well played. I think it's very sweet that you're trying to hide what Stephen did uh, by pretending <laughs> you had no idea. Stephen Hackett, welcome to the show. I guess. Let's just do it. Whatever. <laughs> Come on, do some follow up. Make yourself feel better. So Federico has really follow up this week is Federico has bought some things, mm-hmm. um, which is fun. Uh, the first one has the most like stereotypical Apple accessory name ever: uh, the i expand drive with a little i and a big X. Yeah. Um, so the the i ten pan drive. Uh, this is made by SanDisk, and I'm not sure I really understand what this is doing. So, Federico, what is this doing? This is a. Uh, it was discounted for Black Friday, which is why I bought one. It's a. It is a pen drive, um, with on on one end there's a standard USB that you can plug into a computer, and it's a pen drive, a 64 gigabyte model I bought. On the other end, there's a Lightning connector, so you can plug this into an iPhone or an iPad. And when you do that, nothing happens because you need to download an app, the iExpand app. And that lets you copy files into this USB pen drive. So you can copy files on iOS, then you plug it into the computer and you can access it from the finder and uh, move the files around. So it's meant to be an external USB drive for iOS devices that uses Lightning. But because of the limitations of iOS, you need to use this app and you, you need to manually copy one file at a time. Mm-hmm. So using the copy to extension from the share sheet, if you have like, I don't know, a PDF or a Word document and you need to put it into the USB drive, you use the share sheet, you copy it, then you disconnect and you plug it into the computer. Uh, there's no centralized finder on iOS, so you need to do this manual process from every document individually every time. Or you can automatically backup contacts. Uh, you will end up with a VCF file for all of your contact cards on your iOS device, backed up into the iXpand drive, or you can automatically back up photos and videos from the Photos app, uh, which is a, this last aspect has turned out to be quite problematic because I tried to back up my entire photo library, which is like 10,000 items from my iPad Pro into the iXpand drive. And those are like, I would say, couple of hundred videos and the rest is all photos and screenshots. And I haven't been able to perform this entire backup because uh, even if I try to leave the iXpand drive plugged in with my iPad Pro at 100%, the battery runs out before the backup is completed, which is, uh, it, it, 
there are two problems here. The first problem is the iXpand app should let you select, like split up a backup in batches. So before the battery runs out, you can say, I want to back up the first 2,000 items, and then I want to back up you know, the second set of items. And the second problem is, um, because of the way iOS devices and Lightning works, you cannot, even if you buy an adapter, you cannot charge an iPad and leave the iXpand drive plugged in at the same time. I tried with two adapters. I have the dongle, the Belkin Rockstar, which is used to charge and listen to an iPhone at the same time. But that adapter is limited to charging and audio. You cannot do dual charging or dual audio. You need to do one of these simultaneously. Uh, so that one didn't work. Then I tried with the Lightning to USB, which you plug into the iPad. There's a Lightning connector in the dongle, so you charge the iPad, and there's a standard USB. So I thought maybe if instead of plugging the iXpand drive via the Lightning connector, if I plug it into uh, you know the USB side, maybe the app will work anyway. Well, it doesn't work anyway. Uh, if you want to use the app on iOS, you need to plug the iXpand drive via Lightning. And because there's no way to charge the device and to work with the iXpand drive at the same time, I, I haven't been able to perform the full backup of my photo library. So from what you've seen, it seems like you cannot charge and pass data. Yeah. Audio you can do, but not data. At least with this device, uh, it just if you try the backing dongle or if you try the USB one, um, the Lightning to USB, it just it's not recognized by the system. And the app tells you you should plug in your iXpand drive. So there's just no way to charge and pass data to the iXpand drive at the same time. Do you but have one of else, those Apple-powered lightning thingamajigs? Did you what, try is an Apple, what is an Apple-powered? Didn't Apple make a, um, an adapter that, that Phil Schiller said would be good for podcasters? Do you remember that one? Carl's mentioned that one. That room. one I tried, the Lightning 2 USB. Right. I actually oh, that's also, the one you tried. Right, okay. Yeah, and I, I also tried that actually with my Tascam USB interface, which you guys made me use for recording podcasts. Mm-hmm. And the USB power is not enough to to you know to 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 keep the, the USB interface alive. It just doesn't power on. So right. if I plug the Tascam into my MacBook, uh, the USB power is enough and I see the power light on on the on the Tascam. If I try to so with the 29 watt adapter with the you know the USB to Lightning on the iPad Pro, if I plug into the ca- the task coming to this adapter, it doesn't turn on. So I'm more. waiting. I'm waiting for a separate uh, AC adapter for the task and see if I power that from a wall outlet, and then if I plug into the USB, maybe it should be recognized on iOS. Anyway, um, no way to charge and pass data to the iXpand drive at the same time, which is a bummer. Everything else works. I can transfer files via the share sheet. Uh, the contacts backup is quite convenient. Uh, the app is not great, but decent. Uh, but, you know, uh, there should be a way to perform this full backup, or at least, you know, Apple should allow, I don't know, iPads to have multiple Lightning ports or make another adapter. No idea, but still not possible. So how do you get files onto this thing? With the share sheet. You no, have like, a file. Uh, no, no, no. Like, if you, I want to take it from another computer, like, is it possible to take something from a Mac, put it onto this SanDisk thing, and then yeah. put it on top? How do you do that? Yeah. Via USB. Because do you need a cable? No. It's like a USB key. Oh, like it unplugs? But, uh, it's yeah, like. Look at the it just, of it. it just looks oh. like a USB key. There's not even a cover. I have my scale wrong. 
it, it, when I'm looking at the photos, I'm thinking it's bigger than it is. I work out how big it no, is no, now. No. It just goes straight into the USB port. Like, that's what that hole is on the end. It's like it's mm-hmm. a USB pen drive yeah, yeah. with a lightning connector on the side. It's this old-fashioned thing called USB-A. You, you kids probably <laughs> don't remember it. But, uh, but yeah, we used to use this to put uh, files in and out of what we called computers. It's crazy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I mean, the thing, and the reason it's in follow-up A, listener Peter suggested this, so thank you, Peter, I think. Um, But we keep coming back to this, that iOS is just not very good at external storage and dealing with getting files on and off anything that's not a cloud service. So there's a a link in the show notes to a thing Jason wrote on Six Colors about this. He was trying to transfer audio files from an SD card. We've talked about this before on the show. The SD card... Uh, import functionality in iOS is just for photos and videos. You can't get files on and off them, which is really frustrating if you're using a portable recorder for audio. It's like all these things that iOS keeps bumping up against that it just can't quite do. And the iPad in particular would be really well suited for work like this, right? If you could back your files up, you could have documents or something, someone hands them to you and you just put them right on your iPad this is stuff that it should be able to do at this point in its life, and I hope that it's coming um, because it would make it more flexible out in the real world. Now, Apple would say, you know, just use AirDrop or just use these other things. Well, you know, it, this is one of those instances where Apple's sort of like approach to things doesn't always line up with what professionals need or even prosumers need out in the real world. So I'm hoping that some of this gets better in the future. What I really want to see is either two lightning connectors or just put USB-C on the iPad Pro. I know that it's inelegant, maybe, that Apple likes the idea of there's a single port on the iPad. And I know that we made fun of years ago, people who wanted the iPad to have like uh, an SD port or a USB port. But now it seems like Apple quite likes USB-C. It's very flexible. It's very versatile. And from a practical perspective... There's just so many more accessories, and there's going to be so many more accessories that use USB-C rather than the ones who use, that use Lightning. And it seems just inconvenient, especially yeah. because you 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 need to buy all these adapters, and they're doing weird things with powering and passing data at the same time. It's just more convenient to have one for charging and one for data. You know. Yeah, I um I agree with you. I, it was a joke initially, right? to have a USB port, but the world is yeah. different now. Yes. And the iPads are being positioned differently now. You know, they were content consumption devices. They were companions to iPhones. You know, there was a place to read a book, right? That's what they were originally. Now Apple is trying to position the iPad as a PC replacement. At that point, we need to be able to get a little bit more expandability. Um, and this can come in, you know, it can come in one or two ways. Ideally, we would like to see USB-C ports or Thunderbolt 3 ports on these devices, or find some way to force people to make better lightning stuff. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you really want to use lightning, then convince these hardware makers to use lightning. Yep. And if you can, then great. Like, it's one or the other, but we just assume that putting, like, a USB-C on these things would mean that you don't have to do any of that. True. Yep. Federico, you have returned to the Glorious Plus Club. Yes. Finally. So you had uh, a, an iPhone review unit for a while, the, uh, yeah. the regular 7, but now you've you've gone ahead and bought your own 7 Plus. Yeah. Yes, and it's so, so good to be back on the Plus. I mean, the 7 is great, and uh, 
my girlfriend, for example, loves the the form factor, uh, but I, I I was missing the, the the big phone so much, and not just because of the dual camera and all the photography stuff that I can finally try out, but just because of ergonomics. I'm so used to having a big phone, and um, it just feels better to me. And, I, and this is in a really big difference from two years ago when I was so skeptical about big phones, and now I'm totally on the other side. Uh, it feels better in my hands. I see more content. It's just it's it's a better iPhone, and I'm I'm so happy. I bought a matte black, yes, seven plus red cover. So red, uh, actually red silicon case from Apple, and it's a two hundred and fifty six gigabyte, the top of the line uh, iPhone seven plus, and I'm so relieved. <laughs> That's that very cool. Uh, welcome man. back. Good. Yeah. As uh, tradition holds on Connected, we will be working on our year in review episode. It'll be later uh, this month. Um, Mike can maybe find the date as I keep talking. Uh, this year, I would like some help getting this put together. So, kind of the format is we go through the calendar year, month by month, and, and pick one or two stories that really jump out and that kind of stand the test of time that we think are still relevant and worth mentioning at the end of the year. It's a lot of fun putting it together. If you have a suggestion for a story that should be in there, um, you can put it on Twitter. We're going to be looking at the hashtag connected year, all one word, connected year. And we will um, start pulling those together for that episode that will be coming out in just a couple weeks. Yeah, that's going to be on December 20th. So we're going to be going month by month throughout the year. If you have some stories that are weird, wonderful, impressive, or funny to look back on, like to think, oh, we were so worried about X in February, uh, let us know about it and uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show as well. So we want some user submissions. So hashtag connected year, uh, obviously one word because that's how hashtags work. Um, and you'll be able to help us put the show together. I think we're actually still worried about everything, basically. But okay, let's, <laughs> let's try. I always think that. I always think that, like, there was a thing. It was so important in February. We must still be worried about it. But every year we've done this, it's funny to look back on what the things that we were concerned about, Maybe. like six months ago. It, it tends uh, not to be. If you're a Mac user, none of them have been elite. <laughs> like they're all still around. <laughs> we're in a perennial state of worrying. And we'll see. We'll try to revisit that. I think it's going to be fun. I think there'll be some surprises. This week's episode is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy mobile payments. By next year, maybe even next week, there could be a whole new way to pay. Maybe it will be the next Bitcoin. What if it's the next Apple Pay or maybe even both? Fortunately, Braintree's full stack payment platform is easily able to adapt to whatever the future will hold, so you will be able to adapt easily along with it. Accept everything from pounds to PayPal to that next big innovation from any device with just one integration. And when that new method of payment comes out, all you'll need to do is update a few lines of code. Braintree's code is elegant with clear documentation. It supports Android, iOS, and JavaScript clients, and there are SDKs in many languages, .NET, Node.js, Java, Perl, PHP, Python, and Ruby. No late nights, no complicated reading. No stress about staying ahead of the curve. Braintree Payments is here to help. Check it out at braintreepayments.com slash connected. That's braintreepayments.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Braintree for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Stephen Hackett, you have been secretly squirreling away over there on a new little project. 
I have since July. <laughs> uh-huh. It's been a, it's been quite a process over there. Yeah. So yes, uh, last week when we were recording the show, I had just submitted uh, my book, my new book, uh, Aqua and Bondi, to the iBook store, and it basically went through their review process way faster than everything I'd everything I'd read said. Be prepared for like three to five days, and it was like five hours. And so Tuesday night. Uh, Stayed up super late and got the website and everything ready to go. And uh, and now the book is out. So it is looking at a couple of things. Uh, listeners will know I spent a lot of my time earlier this year uh, with the iMac G3, the, you know, that colorful consumer line of computers from the late 90s and early 2000s. And that computer really kind of like turned around the Mac line, helped turn around Apple. But it was really only part of the story, and the other part of the story is OS X, where when Jobs came back, when when Apple bought Next Computer, the the company Jobs had founded after he was uh, booted from Apple in the eighties, they, they bought Next because they Apple had failed several times to make the classic Mac OS modern. There were a couple projects in there in the nineties, uh, Copeland being the most famous, where Apple just couldn't modernize their OS. And more or less, by the time 1996 rolls around, the Mac software, Mac operating system, is still very closely related to what shipped in 1984. They hadn't made much progress in 12 years. And it was a real problem for the company. There were also political problems within the company, and they were selling like 37 different Mac lines at one point. All that's in the book about how Apple falling apart in the 90s, how their software had fallen apart, and how the iMac... And the what I call the road to OS X really like in concert with each other is what brought Apple back from the brink. That the iMac was important and the software was important, but they couldn't happen uh, independently. The iMac provided capital, uh, provided uh, cash influx for Apple to do additional hardware projects and to fund the software. The that drive to combine Next and Apple technology actually the first round of that was called something called Rhapsody. Uh, an OS that really never saw the light of day to consumers. It didn't go far enough, so I talk about that in there. And it's kind of this whole this whole process of Apple pulling itself out of the ditch and doing so by combining a hardware and a software product. Just like every other thing Apple does, its own salvation was the marriage between hardware and software. So all that's in there. It's like 80, 81 pages, lots of pretty pictures. And uh, so, yeah, it's out, and... Um, I'm here to answer questions, I guess. All right, let's leave the the content of the book, right? Let's not address more of the content because we want people to actually go and buy this thing and they can find it out themselves. So let's talk about the making of the book, right? I think that's kind of interesting. You have a PDF version mm-hmm. um, as well as your iBooks version. I am wondering why you have a PDF version of the book. Uh, I think some people are hesitant to have something like in iBooks just because uh, maybe they don't like the app or maybe they, they want to read it in a different um, a different app than the iBooks app. Maybe they don't want to deal with the DRM stuff in iBooks. Uh, I just wanted people to have options. I figured that the iBooks version would outsell the PDF and it, it has by like a factor of like one to five almost. So the, the, the iBooks version is, is much more popular. Obviously, it's easier to buy, easier to deal with. Um, but I wanted people to have the option to have a PDF if they wanted. Did you lay this book out in iBooks author? I did. Okay. Now, sure this did. has been a, a, a piece, of app, piece of software 
that has had hmm, some interesting thoughts. I mean, I remember when it first came out and Apple did all that stuff where like you could use it, but you couldn't charge outside the store and all that sort of stuff. So one, I assume right. that's changed because you sold a PDF as well. And the other, like how was the actual usage of the application for you? So the the selling bit is is interesting. So you can sell a PDF or an EPUB if you decide to create one. You can sell those outside of the iBook store. What you cannot do is sell an iBooks file. So this is all confusing because they use the same name for everything. But like the actual, I think it's .iba is the file extension, the actual iBooks file itself that you download from the store. I can't sell that directly to you. Now, I could give it away to you. So if I made this free, I could just say, hey, go download iBooks file, import it into the iBooks app, and you can read right, it and okay. it has all the fancy stuff. Um, so that's really the only the only uh, difference now. That used to be more strict, I believe, but they've they've loosened up on that. As far as the program itself, it's for those who aren't familiar, it's a it's a Mac program. It's sort of like Pages and Keynote, like had a baby and the baby took steroids. Like it feels like an iWork app, <laughs> but it, but it's a lot more powerful. Um, and it's pretty good. It's it is a little unstable at times. Uh, I ran into this bug. I actually filed a. a a radar on it where okay, if yeah. I import an image above a certain size, the app would just crash instantly instead of like <laughs> importing the photo. Um, I wouldn't worry about stuff like that. It's fine. Yeah. There's some instability. Uh, I was working on it in Dropbox. When I took the file off Dropbox and had it on my local disk, it made it um, much more stable. So I don't know how much of that was like file system Dropbox weirdness. So I'm not positive I can lay all the blame for that at iBooks author's feet. Um, but on all, it's it's nice if you're familiar with iWork, you can just sit down at iBooks Author and start working. They have really nice templates you can start from. Uh, my book is based on one of the templates that I, I modified in places. And you can drag media in and do text reflowing and, and do all the kind of stuff you would expect uh, from something like uh, like Pages or Keynote. Now, iBooks Author, one of the good things about iBooks Author is that it allows you to create those iBooks files which have lots of multimedia in them. Um, mm mm-hmm. Did you consider any multimedia elements for Aqua and Bondi? Uh, I had a ver- an earlier version that had a lot of, like a lot of the places where I link out to a YouTube video, I had basically ripped, of the, ripped all those down into QuickTime files and had them embedded. And I decided not to do that for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted it to be easy if I update the iBooks file that I could update the PDF in the future. So I didn't want to have like basically a forked version of the book and be making changes in two versions. Also, when you start adding that stuff, like I don't, a lot of those videos and stuff, I mean, obviously I don't have copyright availability to those videos, so I didn't want to run into issues there. And it makes the file a lot bigger to work with. And, you know, all in all, it's like, it's not a big deal to link out to it. The links are preserved in the PDF. So if you're reading on the Mac or on an iPad and tap the, the link in the PDF, it opens a browser just like it does in the iBooks app. Uh, so for me, it was like, yeah, I can just link out to stuff and and that gets you close enough and I, I, I don't have to deal with any of the extra headache of having a lot of media in the book. Did you write the book directly into iBooks Author then? No, I actually wrote it all in Google Docs for a couple of reasons. One, like iBooks Author is just a heavy app to be dealing with like writing into uh, and a lot of writing on iOS. And I had, so several people have edited and like provided feedback on the book and some of that feedback came directly through google docs like before i had any layout huh. done i had a couple people who are like really familiar with some of this stuff 
um, go through the Google Doc and just leave comments there. And so most of the writing was done online, and then I would just you know copy and paste it into iBooks. Some of the stuff, of course, was in an iBooks, like some of the call-out sections and stuff. I just I just wrote there as I went, but uh, most of the writing was done online. Who were these experts? Are you, are you able to reveal names? So there is a thank you box uh, on the about section that a lot of people, uh, a lot of people who helped are listed there. There are a couple people who asked to, to do it anonymously. So Ooh. I, I will leave Ooh. them. Did you talk to, to Tim Cook or something? Johnny Ive? Who did you talk to? Tim Cook doesn't tell. care about about Mac history, so it wasn't him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there we go. Mm. Wow. So Stephen, I want to know. What's the response been like and can you do you have or can you share any interesting feedback or comments from people who bought the book? Yeah, the response has been has been great. So I put it up Wednesday. It got some press including at Mac Stories, so thank you. Uh it's been really good. I've heard from a, a lot of people who uh seem to be enjoying it. Reviews have been good on iBooks. I've gotten some nice emails from people thanking me for it. Uh actually I've gotten several emails from people who like used this stuff back in the day. I heard from one person who who actually worked at Apple during this time frame. Like, yeah, I worked on some of the stuff. Like, it's really cool to read about it. Like, and by the way, you got all the details right, which is like what I care about the most. So it's been really good. And it's been something that has definitely uh, met my initial goals, like sales-wise, which is, which is good. And it feels good to like just have people who don't necessarily follow everything I do. Like a lot of these notes I'm getting from people on Twitter like don't follow me on Twitter. So they found the book elsewhere and then decide to reach out. So that's been really encouraging and really, really fun. And what was the worst part of putting this book together? Some of the layout stuff in iBooks author, like I said, was just kind of hairy at times. Uh, I really was not expecting the, I don't know why I wasn't expecting this, the publication to iBooks itself is pretty weird in places. So you export your file in iBooks Author, and then you have to upload it to iTunes Connect. There's a Mac app that kind of sits in between. And when I initially did it, I, I made a mistake somewhere, and the book was basically going to be free everywhere, which is not my plan. The book's $3.99. And so I had to like go in and like figure out how to fix that. I talked to you. I talked to a couple other people who have used iBooks. Uh, David Sparks uh, helped me out a little bit. So that, like the like the iTunes Connect end of it, of like setting pricing, um, I already pushed a small update to the iBook store. I fixed four typos. They, like that process is super strange. You don't just give them a new file. You basically have to like re-enroll the book and like copy all your metadata over. Um, this is nothing new to app developers, of course, but I've never been through this process personally. So that was a little bit of a learning curve and, uh, and honestly, Apple's documentation really isn't that good. It's There's not a, a place, at least that I found, of Apple saying, these are the steps you go through in this order. There was a lot of like clicking around and like Googling stuff and asking people who know, how, like, how do I get this onto iBooks? What do I need to be done? Um, I ran into a problem like weeks ago when I signed up, when I opened my iTunes Connect account for this, and I had to apply for a, basically a, apply for a paid books agreement. So you prove to Apple, hey, you know, I'm an individual or in my case, I'm a company and this is all my tax information. And they basically go off and verify all of that. And that took longer than I expected. And they actually ran to a problem where I moved and my address wasn't changed everywhere. And it was basically a black hole. And I had to email Apple and finally someone got back in touch with me and fixed it. But that end of it was 
uh, definitely worth it, but definitely more frustrating than I had anticipated and definitely took more time than I thought it would. So do you plan to to do more uh, Hackett books in the future? <laughs> is it, it going like to be like, like a whole family of it's a like great a book brand. publishing industry, Hackett books? Hackett books, yeah. yeah. I would like to. Uh, I, I don't have any real like well-formed ideas right now you know I, I still need to see if this one pays off in the long term it's really kind of five or six months of on and off again work i need to make sure that that's financially viable decision for my company but so far it's working out and i would like to do more i was telling mike the other night um i like that it exists i like that i was able to do it and able to pull off. And it's not my first book. My first book, actually, you can't buy anymore for a bunch of reasons. God, I love that book uh, so much, though. I know. But, um, can I say what it, it was, was for people that don't yeah, know? Yeah, it was a book. Yeah, I mean, you can, it's around. I mean, it, it was a book about my time at the Genius Bar, and it's a collection of short stories about that. If I ever oh, redo I that, that book, yeah. bartending, that right? book Such caused a, a lot of. Well. Oh, my God, it's so problem. good. Yeah, it's currently not on Amazon. It was just an EPUB. I may put it back for free at some point. So I'd like to do more stuff. I'd like to do more stuff like this. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes, and um, I think that I will do more of it. Nice. Well, congrats. It's uh, yeah. The book is really it's really awesome, and I definitely think you should do more. I mean, especially because you 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 can use all of these computers and stuff that you have. And I I think John Gruber uh, when when he linked to you on Daring Fireball, he said something along the lines of only Stephen Hackett could do this, and and it's true because you have all of these uh, this coll- this huge collection. And to, I mean, of course, you don't you don't want thousands of people to come knocking at your door to view the collection, but to put that into a book that's convenient and it's awesome. So yeah, you should do more. Yeah, I view the books very much like how I view the YouTube channel, where it's like, uh, and that's what John was talking about, the design by Apple uh, video I did. Uh, the like the ability that I have to showcase this stuff, like that's like my advantage right now like in the apple coverage space and so like doing that in more interesting ways like, i can write more blog posts and i can do more pictures and i will keep doing that but this stuff also like plays well in books and does really well in video and so i'm looking to kind of expand all of this in different ways and kind of see what works see what doesn't and keep experimenting you got to keep advancing that personal brand that's right it's all about the personal brand this week's episode is brought to you by boom 2 from Global Delight. Look, we all use our Macs for different reasons. Some of us use it for professional creative designing, or maybe they use it to make podcasts. And many of us also, or only, use our Macs and our computers for things like Netflix and YouTube. But one feature that we all depend on, no matter what it is that we're doing, is the volume of our system. We like sound. Sound is important to our computing life. We all have found times where I'm sure you just need that little more when it comes to the volume that your Mac can output, especially on laptops as well. I found this to be the case. We like our favorite music to be that little bit louder, movies sound to be a little bit clearer so we can hear the whispering dialogue, or maybe we want our podcast Skype calls to be more enhanced. This is what Boom 2 by Global Delight does. Boom 2 is a small yet powerful application that enhances the volume of your Mac. When you install Boom 2, it will automatically calibrate itself to your system's audio, and whenever any audio comes out of the Mac, it will boost it to perfection. Even the most feeble of sounds are amplified to the best of the range. Boom 2 promises an immersive and crystal clear audio experience. It works across all of the audio of your system, so whether it be your editing software or when you're browsing the web, your volume will always be intelligently boosted when you need it. 
Global Delight believes that Boom 2 is something that once you've used, there's just no going back from. It tunes itself to make the perfect highs, the perfect lows, and boosts the volume to their best suited range. Boom 2 comes with amazing audio effects, which are available as in-app purchases that allow you to create an addictive audio environment. Boom 2 will also let you tweak your max output with customizable equalizers, letting you toggle to your heart's content, if that's the type of thing that you're into. If you want to get immersed into an audio experience like never before, go to boomformac.com. That's B-O-O-M-F-O-R-M-A-C.com. You can find out more, and the app comes with a seven-day free trial, which lets you use the entire app, including all of the effects. Thank you so much to Global Delight for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Federico had a really good idea for an iOS 10 check-in. So we're going to do this. Um, it's kind of a, a thing that we like and a thing that we don't like, and we're going to do it in a modified round robin per our tradition. So Federico is going to start, I think, with something that he likes. Yes. And the feature that I, th- there are some iOS 10 features that I like, but the, the one I like the most is the redesigned search screen uh, with widgets. Uh, I use widgets all the time now. I was not a huge widget person before with iOS 8 and iOS 9, but with iOS 10 and the fact that I can access my widgets everywhere. They're on the lock screen. I can swipe down from any app and swipe left to view my widgets. They're on the home screen. I use them all the time. And widgets are getting better with iOS 10.2, which is adding a minor change that I have as a deep effect on my usage of widgets, which is when you swipe down, it used to be every time you swipe down, iOS resets to show you notifications. In iOS 10.2, when you swipe down, it remembers where you were the last time you swiped down. So if you use widgets all the time, when you swipe down, you will see widgets. You won't go back to notifications, which results in I don't see my notifications anymore. Anytime I swipe down, I have my widgets. And it's great because I use it all the time, especially with two apps, Workflow and Launcher. So both are widgets to save time, but not in the sense of they just launch apps. I mean, sure, Launcher just launches either an app or a web page in Safari. But the workflow widget actually lets me do stuff more quickly. Like, for example, I can start, I have a workflow to start a timer on Toggle, which is my time tracking service of choice. So I can start a timer uh, for anything I'm doing on my iPhone or my iPad, whether it's editing or reading or playing games or catching up on Twitter. I can do that quickly from the widget. I also have workflows to do things like I want to share a Spotify song both um, with the Spotify link and the Apple Music link. I have a widget that does that for me. I use it all the time. I have other widgets as well. I use Copied for clipboard management. I use the time page widget for um, the calendar. And I have, of course, the batteries widget to check on the status of my uh, wireless headphones and other accessories such as the Razer keyboard on the, iPad, on the iPad Pro. But I would say overall, because they're available everywhere and because they're easy to access, and thanks to iOS 10.2, which is hopefully launching soon, I would definitely say widgets are my, my most used and my favorite uh, iOS 10 change. I don't use widgets to the incredible level that you do, although I do at some point plan to do more with Workflow. I, I, I use Workflow for a couple. Uh, I have a couple of like podcast posting checklists that, uh, will be triggered into OmniFocus from a workflow extension, which I'm pretty proud of. Uh, but the two applications that I love the widgets of the most are Carrot Weather 
which has a, a really excellent weather widget. Um, and Fantastico 2, I think it does a good job of displaying my calendar in a way that I like. Um, and I'm able to kind of just from the widget see what's coming up on future days, which I, I think that's really good. So yeah, I, I am a big fan of widgets as yeah. well. But uh, only only Federico can you use them to the full extent. You know, no, that, that's that's all on you, so. man. That's that's you know, wonderful things that you're able to do. I would like to uh, start with a with a negative of iOS 10, a thing that makes me upset, um, and it's a thing that has made me upset for a long time, and will continue to. And I'm going to keep continue to talk about this. Uh, it is the handling of rich text on iOS. Uh, it is a nightmare. It's always been a nightmare, and I feel like it might be a nightmare forever. Like all I want to be able to do is to open Google Sheets or open Numbers and select a table, copy that table and paste it into an email. That's not difficult, right? Like, this is something that we do. This is something that the Mac can handle fine. Or if I just copy a bulleted list, just paste a bulleted list. Like, this is all I want, right? Like, there are things that, you know, we talk about uh, we talk about this quite a lot. What are the things that are that we still use our Macs for? Me and Federico talk about this, um, and I have one other task that I use my Mac for, other than the heavy audio production, and that is once a week when I have to send some emails, which is data copied from Google Sheets. I use I turn on my iMac to do this because it is so frustrating to try and do this with iOS. And I feel like uh, I feel like a philistine doing it. Like that, that I turn on yeah. my huge Mac computer to send some emails. And it's not even limited to Google Sheets. Even if you just use Apple apps, even if you just try to copy uh, some formatted text from Apple Notes in a mail, or you know, and, and you try to paste that in you know in a message, it doesn't work. And the entire the problem here is that the entire rich text framework is messed up on iOS. There's not even a single rich text framework. There's a bunch of ways developers can do formatted text. And it changes from app to app. And ne- Apple never really optimize and says, okay, if you want to do rich text, if you want to work with the system clipboard, if you want to accept rich text when the user pastes some content, you got to do this and this. It's all inconsistent. And it's a problem because the user expects consistency. So I copy a list or I copy a table, I should be able to paste the table. And instead, iOS does, never shows you that kind of control. And and it doesn't work. So yeah, it, it, it's a problem. I don't come across that as much as you do, but it's definitely a problem. It really, really frustrates me a lot. Just because it's it feels like it's such a simple, like a simple fundamental thing. Right, like the copying of text from application to application, like it, it it copies plain text. It takes rich text, converts it to plain text, and then just pastes plain text. Like it, it frustrates me because it, it it's something that is you never have to think about on platforms other than iOS. Right, like it just it just works because that's just yeah, how exactly. text is formatted. But it seems like this is something that is not being fixed and it's something that I can't understand in the world of professional iOS devices that we we don't even see rich text being handled consistently or at all in some cases it's very 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 confusing to me uh, I'm going to start with something uh, positive and it's something that that when I was thinking about this it's what came to mind almost immediately which really surprised me and it's the improved maps app in iOS yeah. 10 there are a couple of things that I really like about it. 
one, they've moved much of the interface, like the buttons and the menus and stuff, to the bottom of the screen. Um, Apple Music does some of this as well, but uh, Maps, I think, does it really nicely. If you have a bigger phone like I am, or if you're using Maps one-handed because you're walking or you're on a bus or you're in a car, it's really easy to, to sort of navigate with just your thumb. A couple of new features really stand out to me. It is a much better job at remembering where I parked my car. So I've got Bluetooth in my car. The phone unpairs when the car turns off and drops a pin on the map saying this is where your car is. That doesn't always work for me. It's still a little hit or miss, but it seems like it works more often than it used to. And it does a nice job about recently searched uh locations or addresses, things on my calendar, things uh, in the proactive system. So like on Tuesday night, I always go to the same place. Uh, When I open maps, it's always there waiting for me. So that stuff is really nice. And they've added search along your route. So if you are in the car, if you're on a trip and you want to say, hey, you know, is there a Starbucks, you know, in the next few exits, it can now do that. You used to have to go to Google Maps for that because maps didn't wasn't able to do that. You basically had to stop your directions and then search and kind of know where you were on the map and then go back in. It's much more streamlined now. I don't use maps every day. I use it a lot less than I used to. But when I do use it, it's it seems like it's far better than it's been. Uh, I should say is fine print. I've never really had the problems here in Memphis that some people had with like streets missing or like one way streets being wrong or anything like that. The, the map data, the tile data has always been pretty good for me in my area. But uh, all the rest of the stuff, all the features, all sort of the niceties on top seem a lot better in iOS 10, and I'm a big fan of it. Something I don't like, uh, as you might imagine, is the lack of iPad updates in iOS 10. Um, we only got minor changes in iOS 10 for the iPad, which is basically Safari split view and the home screen icon added to the command tab switcher. Ooh. I cannot think of anything else, basically. The rest is all optimizations from iPhone interfaces. And even the new stuff that we did get in the betas, it got removed before the final release, such as uh, side-by-side compose in Apple Mail, which was really nice. For some reason, it was cut from beta 4 or beta 5. So so yeah, so that was like a three-pane view, right, on the the larger iPads. That was like you could do split view inside Mail, so you had the mailbox with the messages uh, yes. on the left mm-hmm. and the compose screen on the right. The it was same really as nice. the Safari thing, right? Yes, kind of, yeah. It was the same concept. You yeah. could actually drag the compose sc- uh, panel to the right. It was really nice. And it's, you know, it was removed. So my, my hope is that we will get with iOS 10.3 uh, next year in the spring with new iPads and iPad Focus release. And there's a lot of things that Apple that Apple needs to fix. Uh, it's been almost, uh, not two years, but more than a year since iOS 9 came out, and the entire split view and multitasking features need to be improved. Um, the the app picker, you know, the, when, you, when you swipe down and you need to scroll apps vertically, that's so slow and it's inconvenient, and people have been complaining about that feature ever since the days of iOS 9. And that's just uh, like, ugh, the more I've used it, the more I'm just frustrated it's just the fundamental yeah. way that it works like yes how does it pick those three applications that it shows think, because it's never I, the one that i want i think i explained this before but again those three apps at the bottom those are not necessarily the last three apps that you use on your device those are the last three apps that you use the multitasking 
That just it doesn't make sense. I, I know, I know. It's just the way that it is. Uh, so that entire interface needs to be redesigned, and there has to be external keyboard integration. Because every t- so I use my iPad in multitasking all the time, but every time I want to open split, split view or change the layout or open a different app, I need to lift my fingers off the keyboard and I need to touch the screen. Mm-hmm. You cannot do multitasking with a keyboard. But there are other problems, like the home screen on the big iPad Pro is starting to feel like a joke, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the, the space is not being used at all. The iCloud Drive app, I know that David Sparks is a fan. Uh, it's so, so bad in, in every possible way, from the extension to the interface of the app to the fact that it's not clear how you can deal with folders. It needs to be redesigned. And in general, I feel like it's been a while since the, you know, with iOS 9, we we saw a lot of potential. We saw a lot of promise. And we said, okay, Apple cares about making iOS for the iPad again. And we didn't get that kind of focus and the kind of um, features, you know, the kind of reimagination of what an iPad can do with iOS 10. So hopefully with iOS 10.3, we will get some major changes. Uh, I, now, I'm not saying that we will get some entirely new iOS for come, you know, the spring. But I would say we should get at least some really welcome features. So, yep. you know, fingers crossed. I think this is the thing is like we're very frustrated now about the fact that uh, iOS on the iPad has stalled with 10. But if in the spring we do see that update, then we'll know that we can expect it in the future. Right. And, you know, we spoke about this many times that we may see like this kind of six monthly or, or whatever it ends up being turnaround where we see iOS for the iPhone and then iOS for the iPad and then that becomes kind of like the schedule going forward which would be amazing like that would be an ideal scenario because iPad users then get double the features right we get the the iPhone features in September and we get the iPad features in March like that would be brilliant but we haven't seen that yet right it's like this is what we're expecting this is what we're hoping and if that ends up coming to fruition that will be fantastic but right now all we have is the facts that are in front of us and the facts are in september the ipad was ignored basically right yeah. like, it, it didn't get anything specific for it and even features that it that it should have are broken yeah. and then just removed like try and drag a sticker in split view if you've got messages open in split view try and drag a sticker you just can't do it you cannot drag a sticker onto the uh, onto the iMessages window. First, it was a bug. You could do the drag and drop, but nothing would stick. Then, it, then they just removed the ability to even drag them. Right? There is like, and so this is for people like me and Federico. These types of things are worrying um, until we see something more. Yeah, or at least just get some specifics. You know, just mm-hmm. hey, don't worry. We got some stuff coming. We haven't forgot, forgotten about it because it from the from our outside perspective, it sure feels that way. You know, if I'm an iPad user and I'm like, okay, this is like iOS nine, and I got no new features, so I'm perhaps a little more communication, you know, or at least making sure that iPhone features work correctly. That yeah. that's all I'm asking. It's not just the professional Mac users that are worried, you know. All right, us yeah. professional iPad users over here, we haven't had any updates. <laughs> yeah, you make right? it sound like a joke, but it's not really a joke. That's no, I'm not point. joking. Right? <laughs> I'm being serious. But it's it's a funny thing. It's like everyone's focused on like at the professional, the Mac professional, but the iPad professional is also concerned at the lack of updates for their platform as well. Um, I mentioned stickers. 
I think mm. the single greatest thing about iOS 10 is iMessage stickers. iMessages in general is really great, but I love stickers. I know it's, some people hate them. Some people think it's stupid. Some people want to never use iMessage again because of the stickers. But oh I think God. I can speak for the three of us that we all really enjoy them. And it is, there's so much creativity in yes. these stickers. Like, if you do not subscribe to Mac Stories, to Club Mac Stories, you should because in the Club Mac Stories newsletter, John does such a great roundup of stickers, all the new stickers. Hey, I do, I do some of those too. Well, <laughs> all I know is I get tons of new stickers from John, so I just assume he's doing it. Yeah, he, he has great taste and he spends a lot of time on the iMessage app store. Yeah, that's true. And there is just so much fun stuff in there. And it's, it's fun and, and also useful. I think like the, the for me the stickers have as much use in communication as emoji do right like you're able to communicate things but you're also able to communicate more complex things because there are a lot more stickers than there are emoji so you can find things to try and convey a feeling and or just be silly you know you can send a sticker of dancing toast to each other right like you this this is a thing that exists you can do that it's great i love the, the toast sticker pack it's like one of my favorites right now. I'll find a link and put it in the show notes. But like this is the thing. Every couple of weeks, I find a new sticker pack that I love. Um, and I have been enjoying it immensely. Uh, I think that it is yeah. a really, really fun way to communicate. And then there are other things. Like the effects are really fun. Um, like all of the, the confetti and the, the making the text big and stuff. And you can use them sincerely or you can use them ironically, but the ironic <laughs> use of them is more fun and has lasted yes. longer than the ironic use of digital touch. Yes. yes right. That sure. ironic use lasted about a day and a half, I think, but I still send, you know, like when Stephen put his book out, I think we both sent him different confetti-related congratulations messages. I think so. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I get I get some really funny pairings every now and then, right? Like it works really well. And also one last thing about messages, which initially I really, really didn't like, but have come to like, which is when you click the camera button and you get that tiny camera app in the message pane, like in, where the keyboard goes, and you can take a picture. Um, I really like that. I wish that, um, that it's a, bit, a little bit slow. Like when you press mm, the, the capture is. button, it takes a little yeah. while to appear in the message, which is weird. Um, but it's it's very cool to have it just pop up like that rather than just take over the whole screen because you typically the photos that you're taking in messages they're not really going to be your best pictures if you're just taking them to share them so uh, i think that that actually works really well but at first i was like i don't like this but now i've gotten used to it and i do really like it so it's my turn to to have a downer and i'm going to talk about 3d touch it's been out well i guess two cycles now of the iphone uh, not on the iPad. I think the three of us are pretty much in agreement that that's not coming to the iPad at least anytime soon. Um, my my issue is that in iOS 10, Apple is relying on 3D Touch a lot, so they're they're pushing or hiding a lot of things behind the actions of things like notif um, notifications that are actionable. That's my biggest complaint: is that if you don't have 3D Touch, or if you're like me. I have it on the lightest setting, and I still find it uncomfortable at times to, to put that pressure uh, onto the glass. It's sort of annoying that I have to use it all the time, and that if I turn it off or I, I try to do things other ways or if I'm on my iPad, that a lot of things are just done differently or some things aren't even really all that possible. And I think that 
you know, there's some confusion around 3D touch and like some other gestures. Apple needs to figure that out. But my big complaint is that anything that is reliant on 3D touch should be be able to be done in a different way that is like on the same footing. So notifications, you know, you got to drag down and like kind of get the right amount. Um, swiping over to reveal the actions was fine. You know, I, I, there's a lot of stuff that they've changed to leverage 3D touch that I'm not sure was worth the change or worth the hassle. And if you don't want to use it or if you can't use it, then you're sort of stuck in some weird places. And that's, um, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I agree really with the, uh, the notification action thing. You know, I know some people that don't have 3D touch devices. Um, and there is just information that some notifications that you just can't see, like you're just stuck. There's just no option for you. Um, and I find that really weird. You know, like there, are, like uh, is it the alarm one, which you you can't do anything from? Like you can't snooze an alarm from uh, other from non three D touch devices. I'm not sure. I think um, that might be one of them. Which is just it's just such a strange thing to me. Um, and it's I, I, there are times where like Apple's ham fisted push towards having you update is good. But I think that there are some times where it's not so good and some of the 3D touch stuff is weird. I mean, I have to say, personally, um, I've come to really like a lot of the 3D touch stuff. But I think that there should be options where for people, you know, where, where they, they, they think of other things. And honestly, the iPad is one of those. Yeah. Right. Like there's a lot of stuff that I would like to do on the iPad, but I can't do it because I don't have 3D touch. And it's like, well, you need to work out a way around this because like, I don't see 3D touch coming to the iPad um, from a technical level, so they need to find another way to do it. And especially the fact that you gotta have for those people who don't use 3D Touch, like my girlfriend, she doesn't use 3D Touch because for some reason uh, she's she just never triggers the correct 3D Touch input. And for those people, you gotta have a graceful fallback. And I feel like in iOS 10, if you disable 3D Touch, especially for notifications, you got you you gain this additional tap required to view a rich notification to expand it and it would be much better if you could just keep swiping to open the rich notification instead of having to swipe and tap so i feel like a lot of the 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 engineers and the designers at apple are so used to testing on the latest hardware and they're like okay sure 3d touch is great and we gotta do all the things 3d touch but then when when they do the bare minimum work to make sure that these features work on on older devices or but you also got to consider people who don't like the new setting who cannot use the new setting and to optimize the software for those people and i feel like in many in many instances iOS 10 is not optimized for non 3D touch usage it's been optimized for 3D touch in some very useful ways and i like it but i also recognize that for other people and for other devices it's not optimized enough if you don't like or can cannot use or don't have 3D Touch. And there should definitely be some redesigns or some updates to also make it fast and make it quick and make it easy if you don't use 3D Touch. So I, I agree with all of the above. Yes, it's also just a really, really weird way of interacting with your phone. Like, it's just strange. It is strange. Like, I'm used to it and I like it, but it's weird. <laughs> like... Press yeah. harder and find more things. It's like, all right, I guess that's what happens now. Huh? Yeah. So yeah, that is iOS 10. I have to say, like, I think especially on the iPhone, iOS 10 has aged quite well. 
Yes, um, there's some things like uh, like digital touch, for example, but <laughs> sure. You could just yeah. ignore that that even exists. I didn't even bother to bring that up with messages. It's like, okay, is, is it even Yeah, but there? it takes up a spot in the, in the message drawer, whereas it would be much better. I mean, the entire iMessage app picker needs also to be redesigned. Can we just say Apple has an app picker problem? Like, they don't know how to design good app selection UIs anymore. Yeah. I, you okay. know what? I actually agree with you because what have we got? We've got the split view app picker because and then the iMessage app iMessage. picker, which are both just disasters. And the home screen, which you could argue that on the iPad, it's, you know. Uh, I think the problem was they designed the home screen and then just tried to make the home screen home in different screen ways. <laughs> like, very weird, very weird. All right, so that is iOS 10. We're looking forward to hopefully some more improvements um, in the first quarter of next year. And then I guess we'll start looking to 11. Wow. <sighs> First, or, uh, let, let, let the iPads come. Then we'll talk about it. <laughs> we could do that. All right. This week's episode is also brought to you by Foot Cardigan. Have you ever wished that the sock fairy would pay you a visit? Or maybe you want to be known as the best gift giver in the world this holiday season. You're want, you, maybe you want your feet to be the envy of everyone you know. Foot Cardigan is here to make all of this happen for you. They deliver fun socks every single month right to your doorstep. I had an email just before this uh, show went on the air that my socks for this month have shipped, which I'm very excited about because I don't know what they are, ladies and gentlemen, and that is the great thing about Foot Cardigan. They send you a surprise pair of socks every month, and they will be things that you never would have imagined. Um, I was telling Federico earlier today, my socks today are Foot Cardigan socks, and they are yellow and brown, and they have spatulas on them. I would never have bought those pair of socks, but I'll tell you, I'm happy that I own them. Foot Cardigan starts at just $9 a month, and they are a fantastic gift this holiday season maybe for a birthday, or even just for yourself. There is no shame in buying yourself a Foot Cardigan subscription. I pay for my own, and I get the socks that I want every month. Socks that I never even knew that I wanted. Foot Cardigan has options for men, women, and kids, and they have different styles as well. They have no-show socks. They have luxury socks. It doesn't matter what you want. Foot Cardigan have got your feet covered. Go to footcardigan.com right now, and you'll get 10% off your order with the coupon code WORLD, W-O-R-L-D. D. Once again, that is footcardigan.com, promo code WORLD at checkout for 10% off any subscription. Uh, I really do recommend this as a great gift. It's a gift that keeps on giving and also just for yourself. It is really, really fun. I love my Foot Cardigan socks. Thank you so much to Foot Cardigan for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, so there was a, uh, a Mark Gurman rumor over on Bloomberg about a new version of the Echo with a screen the amazon echo uh will come right. with mm. a screen in the future um as well as just having its speakers so currently there are there are three versions of the echo is it the the regular the dot and the tap is it tap i think so yeah yes and they are all just speaker canisters of different sizes basically that is all they do you speak to it it speaks to you there you go now it looks like that there's going to be a version with a screen on it as well. So there will be some visual uh, input-output as well, which is interesting. And maybe touch. Who knows? I mean, they've been doing this stuff to an extent with the, with a the Fire tablet, right? They have like um, an Alexa-optimized interface, I think. I think so. Yeah, there's an app, I think. 
there's a there's an app that basically shows you requests visually. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about this, honestly, because I, I I love my Echo because it's not an interface because it's it's a voice conversation and it does stuff without the overhead of having to look and touch. I I get it. Like why it might be convenient, especially if you're like if you're cooking, you can you can view, for example, steps of a recipe as you go. Or you can you can view a weather forecast. You know you can view artwork. You can view photos. But it's just much of the appeal of the Echo is that it, for me at least, it's Siri that works. And by works, I mean I know the Siri works for other people, but it works for the stuff that I need, which is like my task manager or my automation stuff. You know, it's it's a it's a voice assistant that I can fully control and I can customize. And I like that because I it's not another screen that I need to look at. I have enough screens in my life. And the Echo is not one of them. So I, I I sort of get it, this rumor, why Amazon might be interested in doing this. But the the idea of having another, possibly a fork of Android, you know, another Android-type device, another screen to look at, another interface to manage, um, I don't know. It doesn't seem super appealing to me right now. My thinking would be, like, imagine that everything you can currently do with your Echo, you still do and you do it in the same way. Right. But now you can also do additional things. Right. So like nothing changes with your echo. You can continue to talk to it. It will continue to talk to you and you can do all the stuff that you've wanted to do. But then imagine if you're like you have additional commands that you're able to give, like show me X. Right. Which you can't currently do with it. Right. So, that, you know, or what does X look like? You know, it allows for more kind of question types as yeah, well as showing you like a video recipe. But like everything that you can currently do, it doesn't need a screen for, so it can continue doing that. This is how I imagine it. But now it also allows you to do more things. And also one thing that I would like, um, which I, I sometimes I ask my Echo for things and I'm not sure that it heard me right. So like I've asked it to set a timer and it's given me a time back, but I didn't hear it properly because someone was cooking something. And then I have to open the app to make sure I've got the correct timer on. It would be really nice if I could just look at the Echo and just see, get a visual confirmation that it has understood the request I've asked it for. Yeah, maybe. But it needs to be a big screen. Well, I mean, it depends where you have it, right? I mean, I think the idea for a lot of people with these things is that for stuff that you would need to see it so i.e. cooking you'll probably have it near you i think this is for a lot of people a kitchen device and i think for me a lot of the well i mean i think of my echo as a, as a kitchen device yeah same my big one um so i think of a lot of kitchen related things like timers and recipes because that would make a lot of sense for me or you know it is a a device in kind of one of the central places of the home where you go to to make an amazon order you know, like, so you go to it and say, like, oh, hey, Echo, can you order me some garbage bags? And it's like, which garbage bags would you want? And it will show you them and you say, give me those ones. Like, it it could become, like, I mean, I, I know we're thinking of it of, like, um, it's not a hands-free device anymore if it's tu- if it's got a screen. But that's us assuming that it's a touchscreen. We might be able to control everything by our voice still, but it just shows you stuff. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm hoping for too much. I mean, uh, in the I think in the Bloomberg article, uh, he lists you know the pricing of them all, and this would clearly be like a an upper tier, you know, most expensive mm-hmm. option for people who 
who want more. Uh, I would hope that anything they add visually is is a like just an addition. So you know they're not rolling out Alexa features that are like problematic. If you you know are like me and you have a a dot in your office, it's never going to have a screen attached to it. Um, and I think we can look in, at how like a series done it, and you know, it's sort of context aware about how you interact with it. Um, but I agree. Like I just, I have an uneasiness about it because of the way I use mine. I, I use it specifically cause I don't have to look at it and I just don't know like how it could ever know when it's appropriate to show me something versus just read something to me. And maybe it will do both and, and you know, there'll be a learning curve or something, but I don't know. It just feels like to me, like it, it's it's breaking away from like the one thing this product does really well, and I hope that it doesn't make it make it a a weaker product or a weaker service overall because of one new type of device or interaction. Because right, the thing is, like, if they want to continue making the current uh, Alexa products, or the Echo products, then they're going to still be focusing on the voice control. Right? They can't start changing all of the base functionality to mean it needs a screen when they have three quarters of their product line don't have screens on them. Right. Right. So that would be kind of my thinking is like, yeah, it's going to just add either add some new things in that it didn't have before, right? Some new features and, or like augment things. So you can still use your voice, but if you want to look at the screen, you might get a little bit more information. I think I'm a bit more excited about the idea of this product than you two are, I think, which is that's right now, yes, because I, I, I cannot imagine if and how I might want to look at this display, but I'm I'm open to the idea. It's just I I need some more details. Right now, it doesn't mm. strike me as something that I really want. So I, th- I think it, I I don't know if this is just our use cases. Our primary use cases are different, but I am frustrated with my Echo quite a bit because it doesn't have a screen. You know, like th- that, like I'm ask- I have a time. I mean, I use it so much when I cook. That's when I mostly use my Echo and I'm setting timers on it. And I have no idea how long it's left on those timers until I then open the uh, Echo app on my phone. I would really like to be able to look, just glance over and see the timers ticking down. Um, and there are, there are other things that I, you know, that I might like when, when setting up not having to use the, the the app on my phone to do setup stuff mm-hmm. like to do it directly on the device i think would be i don't know it feels to me like a more cohesive and better experience uh, because plus the echo app sucks it's terrible it's just and terrible i would expect that like amazon might do a better job with the application when it's on their own operating system that'd be my my hope at least anyway yeah, we'll see. I, I'm I'm keeping an open mind. Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right, if you want to catch us online, there's a few places you can do that. The show notes for today's episode are over at relay.fm slash connected slash 120. You can find Stephen online at 512pixels.net and at ismh on Twitter. Federico is at maxstories.net and he is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks so much to Braintree, Boom2, and Foot Cardigan for sponsoring this week's episode of Connected. But most of all, thank you for listening. Don't forget, submit your stories for our end-of-year episode by using 
using the hashtag connected year on Twitter and it will go into a spreadsheet where we can see them and then we might be able to use some of the stories that you suggest uh, to help us with our year-end wrap-up episode in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.